In the following live session recording, Steve Brown, worship consultant and presenter, talks about Bivocational Music Ministry 101, Planning Worship. In this session, the listeners will learn how to create a meaningful and engaging worship experience. There are ideas for any worship leader to enrich their church's worship, regardless of size. Let's join Steve now. I'm Steve Brown. Just in case some of you do not know me, um, I served the last 12 years as one of your state missionaries in the area of worship and music. Um, I've been in music ministry for 45 years now, and uh, it's kind of become full cycle. I started out my first two and a half years of music ministry was as a part-time bivocational music minister. And then after I finished college and went on to seminary and all those things, I was full-time. Now I'm back as a part-time bivocational music minister, okay? <laughs> I am serving as the part-time minister of music at First Baptist Church in Blue Ridge, Georgia. I'm up in the mountains and I'm having a blast. I go up on Sundays and Wednesdays. It's an hour and 45 minutes from my house to Blue Ridge. And I drive it up on Friday, uh, Saturday night because they graciously put me in a nice little bed and breakfast every Saturday night. And they cover that and they pay for that. That's a nice little treat for my wife and I, a little <laughs> getaway on Saturday nights. And then uh, lead worship Sunday morning, Sunday night, uh, go home and then come back up on Wednesday. I'm usually there by lunchtime on Wednesday and stay all the way through usually 9, 9.30 on Wednesday night and drive home, get home about midnight on uh, Wednesday nights. But it's a, it's a great church. Um, runs about 150 in Sunday school. We're running about 210 maybe in, uh, in worship. Uh, I started actually as their interim last September. And my first Sunday we had 18 in the choir. We had uh, pianist and organist, sax, clarinet, bass guitar, acoustic guitar when I showed up. Um, last Sunday morning, we had 31 in the choir. We had piano, organ, keyboard. We have drummer. We have bass guitar, acoustic guitar, electric guitar. We have a sax, we have a clarinet, and we have a violin. So we have... Uh, and since September, we have seen things change. We're at a real problem situation now in the simple fact that um, our choir loft seats 26. Oh. <laughs> so I have to bring people up onto the platform when we sing in the choir stuff so they can, you know, we, we make it happen. We crowd them up there and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But uh, it is a, it's a beautiful little town. If you've never been to Blue Ridge, come up sometime and enjoy. It's a good little vacation way place, and uh, they're getting ready to build a brand new uh, Hampton Inn downtown, and so uh, it's, it's a neat little getaway uh, place. But uh, the great thing about it is God is God's doing a work in Blue Ridge. Um, and I, I, one of our struggles is Blue Ridge has developed a reputation. It has a negative connotation. Um, it's known as a gay heyday place. 
And so that has become a little bit of the struggle that the church is facing is knowing how to minister in that situation. Um, but um, they're overcoming that. They're de dealing with that. I was just talking to a church architecture firm. We're talking about getting some flat plans laid out for future expansion. By October, we're hoping to extend our platform so we got a little more room and uh, add a little more space. But God's doing a special work at that place, not because of Steve. Steve was there. I was there five years ago as their interim, and I stayed about eight months and got it ready for the next guy, and there was another guy that came in, stayed about three and a half years, and so now I'm back. They called me back and wanted me to come back. So um, problem I face, and uh, as they were beginning their search for a full-time, they thought I was going to get a full-time person. Um, they said, well, everybody we talked to, we compare to you. Why don't you just stay? Uh, and after my retirement in February, uh, kind of Lord just opened up that opportunity for us. So I want to begin with a passage of Scripture, Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful in all His words and kind in all of His works. That's through verse 13 of that chapter. A couple things in there I just want to remind us of. The challenge that we have every Sunday. I will extol you, my God and King. That's the first challenge we have, is to lift up His praise. And then it says in here, one generation shall commend your works to another. That doesn't say we split us off in different groups. It says we all are in there together, teaching and encouraging and admonishing one another together. And uh, speak of your mighty deeds, show forth the fame of your abundant goodness. The Lord is gracious and merciful. All of those things are attributes of God that we need to continue to proclaim as we lift up and praise and worship. I, um, I pray that what we share together will be a time of just encouraging one another to be more creative in those times of that we worship together. Because I have a tendency to get across this state and find uh, too many churches still doing it like we did 45 years ago. Where you plug and chug numbers and you have a set format that you never change and what happens is 
ritualism develops in many of those churches. You can't get away from that structure that you have to have. And ritualism leads to ritualism. Okay? You get it stuck in a rut. And everybody in the congregation is predicting exactly what's going to happen next. And as a result, there's no spontaneity in worship. It's, it's just, okay, we're going to do this next, and we're going to do that next, and we're going to do this next. And I hope through our discussions together that we can come to an understanding that um, maybe you need to look at that a little differently. I gave you some handouts that I'm just going to mention quickly. Um, and they're not original to me. You can see that they were written by um, Barry Burris over in Mississippi. But he has allowed me to share these with you. Uh, if you're not familiar with LifeWayWorship.com uh, and how to download music from it, this is a step-by-step -step guide on how to download music from LifeWay Worship. Uh, I'm finding many of our churches don't have adequate accompanists have adequate musicians and so they've got to come up with CDs week after week well you can actually burn those CDs and use them every week if you need to by using lifewayworship.com and um, um, then there's the other one is using Lifeway Worship for congregation uh, and choir music downloads the that one in particular uh, will show you if you're looking for a particular song and you want to use a different version of it. Uh, Lifeway Worship for me is the tool I use every week. Um, and I will be very honest with you, I very rarely sing a hymn just like it's written in the hymnal. I, I look for, okay, what can give me a more modern feel and yet not change the structure of that hymn? Because I'm working with guitarists, I'm working with, I'm not working with trumpet players, and I'm not working with the orchestral members. I'm working with guitar players in the rhythm section. So I need something that they can feel a part of. And many of the things that Lifeway Worship has done has taken traditional hymns, left the hymn structure alone, and given you a nice kind of band feel, rhythmic feel underneath it. And so you can download those charts right straight from lifewayworship.com and it's great. Everybody loves them. Uh, they also have done some neat things with taking tempos and changing the tempos. Something that we're used to singing very fast, sometimes they've slowed it down. It just a little more of a rhythmic groove a little bit and you can get a, your congregation changes the attitude with the way they sing it. Uh, but that is also there for you. But and then there's a descriptor on how to use lifeworship.com. So just those are tools that I want you to be aware of. All right? Okay, my first question to you, because this session is supposed to be about planning worship. Um, let me ask you a question. How many of you plan worship by yourself? By yourself. You're the only one that ever looks at it. You plan it by yourself. Okay. How many of you have to take that worship and then say, okay, here it is, but preacher, what do you think? Okay. All right. Uh, how many of you use anybody else in the process? My wife. She must be the pianist. She's a pianist. I got you. 
I knew exactly. Okay. Yes, Same sir. Same here. Same here. My wife. Okay. Um, I would encourage you if you don't use, if you don't have a wife that's a pianist, you might want to get your pianist involved because they may not be able to play what you want to play. Okay. It does help to know that they can play what you want them right. to play Good and in the keys you want them to play in that's and those right. kind of things, you know. So, anyway. Um, I'm going to give you uh, a little bit of the analysis of what I did in my last full-time ministry. Uh, my last full-time ministry was 10 years at First Baptist Church in Duluth, Georgia. When I walked into Duluth, Georgia um, in 1997, they had had some good quality music ministers in the past. Um, the problem they had according to the pastor when I got there, was that the music minister planned the music, the pastor never saw it, and he repeated and repeated and repeated, and it was all about that music minister on the platform. Mm -hmm. And so the pastor in the, ten, the ten, last couple of months of tenure of that music minister said, something's gotta change, I'm going to set a schedule that says I'm going to meet with this music minister every week and we're going to plan worship. And so that I don't hurt his feelings, that's what he said, I'm going to invite the pianist and one or two other people to join us. And so we're going to have a team of about three or four people and every week we're going to meet and plan worship. So one music minister left, they kept that team planning worship. Okay. When I arrived on the scene, he said, you can either keep the team or change it. I said, well, let me think about it. And I thought, you know, it sure would be nice for all the button not to fall on Steve all the time. Okay. <laughs> you know, when those little people write you those little nasty notes and say, why haven't you sung that hymn yes. anymore? You know, uh, <laughs> I could say, well, remember, we have a worship planning team. And they include. So that decision was not just Steve's. It was us agreed upon. Okay? So one of the things that I uh, really want to say to us is, who plans worship in your church? Maybe it needs to be more than just you. Alright? Maybe you do need to have some kind of worship planning team. And I kind of put this together because eventually this becomes something became something we did every week for ten years of my ministry there. And even to this day. At Blue Ridge, I have the secretary who is the organist that works with me and the pastor, and every week we talk about, so it's not just Steve, every week, all right? So it can be as big a team as you want or it can be as small a team as you want, but I think one of the things that we need to realize is that a worship planning team can be your greatest ally. Now, the hard part of having a planning team is they're going to hold you to the task. 
they're going to suggest some things you may not be comfortable with at first. I know I felt that way. Um, I, at first, felt a little threatened. Well, why don't we do that? Why don't we do this? Wait a minute. Okay, yeah, ultimately the authority came back to Steve, but it pushed me. It challenged me. And so I encourage you to look at it, okay? Who do you need on that team? Now, I, I really thought eventually, because I went from a church that was running 600 when I got there, and when I left in 2007, we were running 1,100, okay? By the time we got through, I had a whole bunch of folks on that team. All these folks did not meet with us every week, but I had a core group of five people that met every week. And we met every Monday afternoon from 1.30 to 4.30. Every Monday afternoon for 10 years. There was very rarely a Monday we didn't do it. Okay? And if I wasn't there, one of the team members took it and let it. After about five years, the pastor decided he didn't have to be there every week. He had enough respect for the team that he felt like he could turn it over to the team. And he would come about once a quarter and he would share with us, here's where I'm thinking God's going to take us this next quarter. And then we would go from there. Okay? But worship doesn't need to just be yours. Alright? Now, um, I had some ideas that I put to get put down on paper. Um, implementation of the team. It needs to be people that are gifted and talented in music or in some other area. At one point, I kept a drama person around a lot. At one point, I kept... Um, one of our ladies that was really big in banners. We brought her in for a, a period of time. Um, we did everything we could to incorporate the right people at the right time. Okay? We needed to be consistent. We needed to be um, always prepared and cooperate together. And that's something that we just learned to do. Okay? Um, we never failed to constantly be praying for our worship services. We never failed to be constantly studying books on worship. Um, when John Duncan came into the state of Georgia, one of the first things we did is have John Duncan come to our state, uh, I mean our church, and do a whole series of his study on worship. He'll come to any church and he will do that. And it is a phenomenal study for you, your pastor, your deacons, um, your worship team, um, anybody to hear his explanation of biblical worship. If you've never sat in that seminar, you need to go sit in that seminar sometime with John Duncan. Um, we had that happen at Duluth. It revolutionized our thinking at that point. It got us away from plan, plan, plan to bigger vision. Okay? Um, one of the things that we also did was it actually we wrote a definition of worship for our congregation so that everybody understood why we were doing what we were doing and how we were doing it. Now it's unique to your church 
He spelled out for our congregation that we were going to be a multi-generational church. We were not going to be a church that just did contemporary worship or just did traditional worship. We were going to be a multi-generational church. And so in order to do that, at one point, we did two different services. At one point, we did back-to-back look-alike services. In that 10 years, because of our church growth, we had to do some different things. But we made a point of staying with the concept of being a multi-generational, reaching every generation through our worship, and not splitting them off in different groups. Okay. We also developed long-range plans and short-range plans and goals for us, us as a church. One of the things that I have begun to realize as I've gone across the state of Georgia the last 12 years, and especially in some of the younger guys, sorry, Sean, uh, some of the younger guys do not know how to program music. You don't want to understand uh, what I'm saying is, okay, there's a new hymn I want to introduce to our congregation, a new song. How do I put that in so I don't just go walk in there Sunday morning and sing it to them and expect them to know it? Okay, you know, and that's what many of them do. Uh, some of them, some think that if I repeat it four or five times, week after week after week, uh, that I'm introducing it correctly. Uh, no, okay. uh, that does nothing but just. Mm, make everybody frustrated okay there is a way to introduce a new song all right and the easiest way in the world to introduce a new song is to whoever's praying doing the prelude or postlude this Sunday morning do it prelude next Sunday morning do it postlude if you do a Sunday night service put it in the Sunday night service by somebody doing a solo or plug it into your offertory time, somebody doing it as a solo. Or plug it in somewhere just as a solo in that service. And eventually you get it throating in their heads enough, they don't really know, okay, I don't know those words yet, but hey, I know that tune. It's floating in my head. And then you might say, okay, as your worship team leader, you step up and start it with singing the verse and say, now join me on the chorus. And they get that chorus floating in their head. And once you've done that a couple of times, then the next time around you can say, okay, let's all sing it. And by then they've got it. There are many music ministers I also find don't realize and think ahead enough. I am one of those guys that says, I need to be thinking six to eight weeks out because things happen at the church. Um, if I'm right now at my church thinking six to eight weeks out, I realize that the third week of October, we're having a revival. Okay? What am I gonna sing leading up to the revival? What am I gonna need as a part of revival services? What songs am I gonna need? What choir things am I gonna need? All of those things I need to be thinking and planning ahead for, okay? This coming Sunday, we have a Beidou dedication. I've got to put that into my order of service. I knew that three weeks ago. I'm thinking ahead, what needs to be when, how do I plug that in, okay? What do I put around that? Is there something I need to sing? Is there something that needs to be said or done? 
around that baby dedication so that it's not just stuck at the beginning of the service or tagged on at the end, okay? Those are the kind of things I'm thinking about when I'm saying programming. Um, those are neat things that can happen in the life of your church. It can really enhance your worship and not distract. So that's kind of what I'm after. Uh, so here's what I want to do. I want to talk about some plans. There are some biblical models that we have. There are some other models that are out there uh, that you can look at that uh, will help you. And I don't know if I gave you this or not. I probably didn't. But uh, here's four different models that you can look at. Okay. This, these four models, the four-fold pattern of worship is basically, basically taken from a, a Robert Weber book on worship called The Complete Library of Christian Worship. If you've never had a chance to look through that, you need to. It's a um, multi-volume set, uh, and it's a very, very good tool for thinking and planning and praying about worship. Uh, this is taken from The Complete Library of Christian Worship, Volume 3, The Renewal of Sunday Worship by Robert Weber. And he breaks down an order of worship into five parts. He breaks it down in the first part to being the gathering time, which can include your call to worship, songs that encourage your congregation to gather, your welcome and your greeting time, if you have that kind of stuff. Um, all of that is part of what calls the gathering. Number two, it's called the entrance. And it's songs focusing on God. Scripture focusing on God. Prayer focusing on God. All of those are part of what he calls the entrance. Number three is called the hearing from God. This is when you have Scripture, additional scripture reading. This is when your your message and music is. This is when your um, your drama is, or anything like that. This is when the sermon takes place. All of those things are a part of that hearing from God. That's the number three. Number four is respond to God. We respond to God. That's the invitation, the offering. Uh, the Lord's Supper, anything like that of ministry opportunities that the church can go out and do. That's responding to God. And then the fifth one, He always includes depart to serve. Whatever you're going to do to challenge your congregation to go out, a closing song, a benediction, any kind of postlude, that's all part of departing to serve. So there's five parts in the Weber. The gathering, the entrance, hearing from God, responding to God, and depart to serve. Okay? That's um, what he calls the fourfold pattern of worship. Um, Psalm 95. If you've never looked at Psalm 95, this is another excellent little guide for planning worship. Uh, this one is taken from a book called Personal Theology and Philosophy of Worship Ministry by Joel Dorman. And I will tell you, my days at Duluth 
I was absorbed in reading books and studying on worship because of what this team did to me and how it impacted my life. Um, I spent hours digging through, trying to understand what different people were saying about worship. This was another example. Um, Psalm 95, verse 1. It says this section would, would have songs of celebration and joy, and it's usually very upbeat and bright in its nature. But that verse 1 talks about that. Let me just show you Psalm 95. Let me get there. Because this will help you understand what this is all about. Okay. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. That's verse 1. Okay? Sing to the Lord. Celebrate. You know, that kind of thing. All right. And then verses 2 through 5, it says, Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with psalms of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. That section is giving thanks to God for who He is and what He has done. Okay? So if you want to build your worship in three parts, you think about the celebration, you think about then the second of what God has done, giving thanks, and then the third part is the section where it says, verses 6 and 7, Oh, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. That part is the intimate moment with the Creator. Okay, When you hear from God on how much God loves us, how much He cares for us, all of those kind of things. Okay, There's one called the four-phase um, four, uh, four tabernacle style. And that's also out of the Weber book. Um, the one I learned when I was at Southwestern Seminary is the Isaiah 6 one. And most of us that have uh, ever grown up with uh, any kind of study of Isaiah 6 understand that that's a great model for worship. Verses 1 through 4 talk about the revelation of God. In the, in the year King Messiah died, I saw the Lord, I lifted up, the train of his load, you know, filled the temple, spilled with smoke, and uh, the cherubim went up there, and everybody's singing, holy, 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 all that kind of stuff, okay? Uh, we see the majesty and glory of God. That's first. Then the second is a time of confession and expiation, what John Duncan calls it, uh, expiation. But a time of confession. You know, we as Baptists have a tendency to say, we're going to celebrate God, we're going to hear from God, and then we're going to respond to God. Okay? How can we celebrate? How can we hear if we're not clean first? Now that's what's always bothered me. We come in with all these fancy songs. We come in with all this great stuff. We come in with a great message. But if we've never, as believers, stepped in the presence of God and said, God, clean me up so I can hear really what you want to say, then do we ever really hear? So, I would challenge you. You might want to start with something celebrative. 
but come out of that celebrative time into something that says, change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like you. Something that draws you back to confess who you are as you stand in the presence of God. Because it's not something you're doing for that congregation. It's every individual in that congregation needing to confess their sins so they can hear what God wants to say. I am a firm believer. Sunday morning worship is not evangelism time. Sunday morning worship is for the body of Christ. We're there to celebrate who God is as believers. We're there to hear and be challenged from Him and we're there to go out and serve Him. If we do that right, evangelism will take place. We don't have to make it happen. Because what they'll see are people they want to be like. They will see things that really matter to them and they'll want to know how you got it. And they'll come to you to seek it out. The problem is we got it all confused. We got people standing in our congregations just watching the stage. They're never engaging. They're expecting somebody else to worship God for them instead of ever really tuning their hearts in. And we got to change that. And that's your job as you stand to teach. Okay? Um, that's confession. There's the proclamation section in verse 8. And then there's the last session, which is the commission to go out. I mean, it's basically a four-part in the Isaiah 6 model. And uh, to me, that's exactly what we need to be doing. All right? Now, um, where do we begin? Now, let me ask you a question. I've already talked about our worship planning team. What do you do when you walk in and you start... Um, getting ready to plan your worship. Well, I hope you don't forget that very first one. Hope you don't forget to pray about it before you start putting stuff down on paper. Okay? Uh, you definitely want that to be from the Lord. Alright? Um, so, what do you need? If you're going to plan worship, what do you need? What are the tools you need to have available to you? Um, um, don't ever sit down to plan worship. Um, my Bible is about to fall apart. But when I sit down at my desk at home now, my Bible's right there. My pastor, luckily, is preaching verse by verse through the Bible, through the book of Mark right now. Okay? So I can look, and I can kind of guesstimate what he might talk about as he's preaching ahead. And so I spend a lot of time praying and thinking about that passage the next five or six verses before I ever began to put things down on paper. Okay? What do, what do I need to gain from this? What, is, what do I think he's going to communicate? Because, like most pastors, he does not communicate well to me <laughs> where he's going. Okay? I hear it at the same time everybody else does on Sunday morning. Okay? So, 
That's one of those things. All right. Then I have to think about in my, in my head, what is my format? What am I going to do? What is, how am I going to use one of these as my guide? Or am I? Uh, one of the things that, because we're on live radio, how much time do I have? Because I know he's going to take 40 to 45 minutes. <laughs> Every Sunday. And if he gets carried away, it's going to be longer than that. Okay? That's my pastor. Luckily, we start at 1045, so I've got about a 30-minute block. And he takes 45. Well, now I've got to remember. Okay, 30. But what have I got to put here at the end? How much time do I allow at this end? If he's going to take 45... I gotta leave two or three or four minutes, so now I'm down to 25 minutes up here, okay? Because I've got to keep all those little things in mind, okay? So I need to plan it. The one good thing about using LifeWayWorship.com, if you can do it close to the tempos they do them on that recording, it tells you how long every song is going to last. So you can go and say, okay, it's going to take me four minutes and 37 seconds right here to sing this song. And probably take me 30 more seconds to, to say what I'm going to say or if I'm going to say anything before it. Okay? So I'm kind of a nut for planning out the time slots. My pastor sees it. Three minutes and 47 seconds here. 30 seconds here. This, It's on the page I use. Okay? So anyway, it's crazy. But... Uh, and then what do I need to include this week is there that special baby dedication is there anything I've been looking ahead toward that I've got to make sure is included in that order of service so that's the music, some of the things I look at now what are the non-musical items I have to include you know I'm thinking I got 25 minutes now I got to cut out how much because I got announcements and welcome and prayer and the meth you know, all those things have got to happen in my 25 minutes okay um, let me just stop here for a minute um, where do you put the announcements in your church on the screen on the screen on the screen yeah. not verbal not verbal mm -hmm. never anybody else on the screen and the beginning on the screen and beginning of the service. Pastor goes. Okay. We do a call to worship and then we have someone who does a welcome and then he'll, he might highlight, but it's very brief. But he might highlight what's happening the next week or whatever. Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, after the invitation, we have announcements. Okay. After the invitation, along with, you know, of course, lots of the stuff is already in the bulletin, but we highlight uh, those at the very end. Yeah. If you stop and think through what we've talked about as some of those structures, what is the last one usually? A commission to go out and serve, a commission to go somewhere and do it, okay? Well, why do you put the announcements at the beginning if you're going to go out? You're going out to do it at the end. We do it multiple ways. Number one, it's on the screens. But the main place, if it's going to be mentioned, it's after the invitation and the pastor says, this week, here are your opportunities for service as we go into this world that needs to know of Jesus Christ. And he hits them. 
So I would encourage you. Um, announcements are out of place if they're up there in the service, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, Ken. Um, we, we had an organist for 41 years who died of a heart attack, and nobody can really remember any of the preludes he ever played because everybody talked through them. So um, we decided that uh, the prelude was going to come after the announcements, and we called people to order because half our congregation can't hear it thunder. So we, we and they're talking, and if their backs are turned, they don't read lips, so they're still talking. Um, so it takes a, us a second to get them to focus in on what we're doing, and so that we use the announcements to do that, and that they segue into worship, play the prelude, and that sets the. Uh, the mood. And we repeat announcements at the end, but um, we, you know, you, we only have recordings of, of, of what Charles played, and he played so well, and and nobody could really remember because they all talked to him. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, our preludes are the most neglected parts of our worship service most of the time because we just chatter right over top of them. Uh, anybody been to Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis? Anybody? Um, I had the opportunity when I was in seminary to serve with Steve Gaines. Steve is a pastor now at Bellevue Baptist in Memphis. Uh, we served together for five years. One of the things that Steve did when we were together there, he still does it at Bellevue. The first thing that happens at Bellevue when everybody is walking in, there's a little bit of commotion going on, but then all of a sudden you see men from all over that church head to the altar to pray. And he calls men and folks together to be on their, on their knees to pray for that worship service. So they start their service before there's any prelude or anything. They start for that time of prayer. And then somebody verbalizes a prayer. Then there's something prelude that happens. So that's a way you're getting their attention. You're focusing there. Not a bad idea. You know? Uh, one way to do it. All right. Um, I also put in here, are the non-musical things necessary? And then how much time do you allow for them? If you're not careful, announcements will take five to ten minutes. Mm -hmm. And everybody and the brother, if you say, because my preacher's got this bad habit sometimes, now is there anything I missed? Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> We're there for another five or six minutes Sorry. because somebody else has said, oh, I'm sitting uh, that one over there. Okay. All right. Uh, don't ever open yourself up to that. But um, where do they fit best? Where do things that are non-musical fit best? Um, is there a way you can move them around? And we'll talk a little more. I have a, a real pet peeve about one of these right here. Here are the musical things, okay? There's always some kind of prelude or something that happens to begin. There's congregational singing. There's usually a choir if you're using a choir. Uh, there's some kind of offer, something happening at an offertory time. There's an invitation. There's some kind of postlude. And there may be other things that are musical that you plug in, okay? Um, Let me, let me talk about one, and I'll get off of it and jump on to something else. Um, where's your offering in your service? In the middle. 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 Middle worship. Middle worship. Okay. 
I love the women. Why is it in the middle? That's how it's always been. Tradition. Yeah, yeah. That's the reason. Because that's when the pastor wants the choir to leave the stage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or else it's a, for us, that's it's a transition then from the celebratory music to the serious music. Yeah, yeah. So it's a transition yeah, period. We, we use it, we manipulate it, we use it for something. Now, what is the offering? Um, it's a part of our worship. Okay. Um, most of us as Baptists, we got out of the habit years ago of giving it in the plate because we take it up in Sunday school so we can do the little record check and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, is that biblical? We don't, we don't do that. We don't play No? Okay. Some of you agree with me. A lot of people do online. Yeah, we, we've got so many ways to give now, it's unbelievable. But what is the offering? To me, it's response to what God has done and said in your life and through your life that day, that week. When I come together to worship on Sunday morning and I've experienced God's presence in that place, which I pray you do every week, when I get to that that time of commitment, service, whatever you want to call it, invitation in your service, one of the things that I feel like I need to do is say, okay, God, this is what you've given me. I'm giving back. I prefer the offering as a time of response. And that doesn't mean it's just now just some kind of transition from this to this. It's an act of worship. So that's toward the end then, right? I do the invitation and then the offering. And usually during that offering, I'll have a piano solo, a organ solo, yeah, I'll have somebody sing a solo, I'll have something happen musically while that offering takes place. But I encourage them, remember where this is. It's part of our response to what God has done. It's not get up there and sing for joy, you know, that kind of stuff. Remember the theme here. So it's very meditative music at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing bright. It's just very meditative. I don't. That's me. All right. Think through that. Think through for yourself where that needs to happen in your service. Our pianist chooses the song that will go with the scripture of the message. So she deliberately chooses the piece. Yep. We'll think about what they're going to hear. Yep. We need to do those kind of things, okay? Um, and let's see here. All right. That's one. We'll talk more. Um... Here's some other musical ideas to remember. Um, I have to be careful that I don't put everything at 76. Because if I put everything at 76, by about third song in, everybody's going, Okay, 
you know what I mean, all right? Think tempo. You need occasionally to have some life in the room, okay? There needs to be some celebration. Maybe you start with celebration and you go down. Uh, I will share with you some other things that we're going to do a little bit later, but one in particular. When I was at Duluth, because of that planning team and because I had a pastor that would cooperate, one Sunday morning, we walked into the service and everything was calm, reflective, confessional, right off the bat. And he got up before we did anything else and spoke for about five to seven minutes about confessing your sins to God, to be ready to hear what God has to say. And then we sang for about five to seven, eight minutes about pouring ourselves over to God, surrendering to God, okay? Then he got up again and he spoke about the life in, as a Christian. And so we did testimonial kind of songs. Um, what a friend we have in Jesus. We did things that help us remember and reflect on what God has done in our hearts and our lives. And then he got up and spoke. And so we split the service in three parts. He got up and spoke about now. Now that we've confessed, now that we've reflected on what God has done in our hearts and lives, let's celebrate that. Let's enjoy the fact that God's done something that exciting in our hearts and our lives. And He gave me 15 minutes at the end of the service to celebrate with the choir and the congregation. Wow. We left that place whooping and hollering just about. You know, I mean, it was exciting to leave that place that morning celebrating what God was doing in our hearts and our lives. Um, just because we were willing to make some changes in the way we did things, okay? I'm just trying to whet your appetite, okay? Challenge you to think about why you do what you do, all right? Steve? Yes, sir. At one of the church music conferences we did, Paul Oakley, was, or Oakey, whatever his, his last name, he, he said something that really impacted me. You direct to your heart rate, whatever your heart normally beats, that's what your your conducting pattern is going to be. So if you're aware that you're a fast beater, then you might want to slow things down. But I found that to be true. Um, and people who play your keyboards, if you get somebody that that races through things, their their heart rate's going um, faster, and so they. Yeah, God's got me on blood pressure medicine, so mine slowed down a little bit. <laughs> I found it true in everything I've done. I yep. really concentrate on uh, on that. So yeah, that's great, great idea. Yeah, make sure that you don't let yourself get locked into just one speed, one tempo, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm also one of those guys. What does it say in Colossians three sixteen? You might know. Sir, anybody, Andrew, anybody know? Somebody look it up for me. Anybody got a Bible with them? I'm, I'm looking the word Christ dwelling you richly. Yep, that's yeah. it. Keep going. Uh, Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I can't. I don't You're know getting there. 
Sing it with grace in your heart. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Okay. A couple things to think about. When we're singing, we're teaching and admonishing one another. What does that mean? That means we're instilling theology into the lives of our people. We're encouraged. Admonishing means to encourage our people. So the singing does those two primarily thing, primary things. We teach and we encourage. Okay? Through the music we do. Alright? And then it gives you psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Okay? That tells me that in the New Testament, they were singing psalms. They were singing the Word of God. Okay? The book of Psalms. Okay? Other spots within Scripture are opportunities for you to sing exactly Scripture. There are songs, there's some great songs that are exactly Scripture. Okay? Psalms. Hymns. What is that? That's the theology of the church. That's how we teach each other. That's what, how we teach things. We tell the story of Christ through the theology of our faith. Okay? Spiritual songs. What do you think that is? What's God done in your heart and your life? Those are songs of testimony. That's when the Spirit has got within you and done something. Okay? So to me, the challenge that we have is I need to use songs that reflect straight from Scripture. I need to use songs that teach the theology of the church. And I need to use songs that encourage and celebrate what God has done in the hearts and lives of people. One style won't do it to me. Okay? Everything can't be in 76. If I'm going to sing the psalms, the hymns, and the spiritual songs. Okay? It's not going to work. Okay? So my tempos need to vary. My styles need to vary. That's Steve using that definition from Scripture as proof text. And I tell my congregation, I say, folks, here's the reason. Here's the reason we're singing a song maybe that these kids will just rock off the platform with, but you, some of you folks sitting out there, uh, you may struggle with a little bit because we're encouraging them right now. Okay? I'm fortunate. First Baptist Blue Ridge is a retirement town. There is the struggle between, oh, you live, you, you were born here? Oh, you're not from here. There's mm, that happening. Okay? And the folks that are there now, most of them are transplants from somewhere else. Most of them, most of my choir is 65 or older. My age or older. Okay? Most of those folks. But you know what's happening in my choir right now? I've got 12, 13, 15, 17-year-olds in my choir. Really? How'd you get them there? Come on. Trent. Come on. We need you up here. I need you involved in helping us lead worship. I need this congregation to see that you're just as important as they are. And I've got young ladies and young guys that are singing in my choir now. And so I can turn around and say, okay, now, hey, kids, you know, this one's for you. You know, because we want to encourage you this morning. 
all right? And you ought to see them light up. Their faces will glow, especially if we kick into a worship song that they know that is really popular. Oh, boy, the, you know, Mighty to Save. I know that's a little old by now, but for this church, it's pretty new, okay? Uh, my, those kids love it, and they will sing that thing, and they'll lead out on that. And what I do many times is I'll pull one of them up there and say, hey, come here. You sing the verse. Now, congregation, let's sing it. And I engage that younger generation, and so now they're going to be a part of worship leading. And to me, that's the key. We've got to get everybody involved. Um, so I ask the question, what are next steps? What do you do? Uh, for me, the next step is who does what and what do you do? Uh, who does it and who plays when and all those kind of things. So I'm going to take you through some creative worship ideas. Um, these ideas come from... Um, Ten years of experience at Duluth, and then they also come from all the interims I've done over the year since then. Um, let me see where I did with that. Here. There it is. Okay. It's in my notes. Um, one of the things that I, uh, I discovered at Duluth, and I've not tried it yet at Blue Ridge because the, big, the room's not big enough, but when you walk in the room, what happens if you turn the lights out and it gets one spotlight up on the platform somewhere? What happens to the people when they walk in the room? Everything gets quiet. They're looking. What's going on? One way to get your folks to take and pay attention at the beginning of service, turn the lights out and put it on the cross. Put one light on the cross. If your church has got a cross in the front. Okay? Blue Ridge, in their baptistry, has this stained glass that was created, and it's a, it's a river scene and that kind of stuff. Um, my problem is I have stained glass on the sides, so I can't black out my church. But if I could, I would walk in there some Sunday morning and I would black out the room and have just that stained glass on and see what happened as people walked in. Or at least get them in there and then turn the lights down and let that be there. And just let it sit there for 30 seconds. Just see what happens. Our senses change when light changes. Um, one of the things that bothers me is when it comes to congregational singing and we put all the light on the platform and turn all the light out down here. Because what does that say to the congregation? You're not important. You're not important. They are. Mm. No. Don't do that. Uh, I know spotlights and stage lighting has become very important, quote, for a lot of churches. But when you overdo that to the point that you're making these people performers on a stage, that's what you've done. You've neglected these folks. Sorry. Like you're going to a concert. I've always been 
you said the congregation is my biggest choir. Yep. That's right. That's right. That's, That's right. Choir. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, you know, those. that is one way, just as a pre-service kind of idea. Um, one of the things that we've tried, you know, we, we tried a lot of things at Duluth. Now, I, I will give you a warning. Don't try all of these things at once. Okay? okay? And don't do too many of them in the same service, okay? Uh, you know, you can get in real trouble. You know, put one in and wait two or three weeks and try another one or something. You know, move it around a little bit or something. But um, one of the things that we did um, for special services sometimes is we would have a service of silence. And we printed a printed guide, and this was especially effective on New Year's Eve. If we want to do Lord's Supper on New Year's Eve as we we're coming in the new year, uh, some kind of special service that you wanted to create, but we would print a printed guide. These are the things we want you to do as you enter to worship. Enter in silence. And we might have some meditative music in the background. We might not. It might be totally totally quiet but many times we would use that guide and we'd say dads you're the head of your household you lead your your family in a time of to begin with a time of confession circle your family do something that says to your your family read this scripture read this scripture with your family now, it's time to partake of the Lord's Supper. Dad, there are four stations around the building. Take your family to one of those stations and serve your family the Lord's Supper. When you've finished, go back to your seat. Once you've had a time to meditate on what you've just done, you're free to go. Exit in silence. I'm just showing up shared ideas, okay? Think about how you could do that if you ever think you need to do that. But I think to me, one of the joys of worship ministry is being creative with it, okay? Um, I've already kind of talked a little bit uh, about announcements and those kind of things, but um, I'm not going to get into that one. But I want to get into uh, beginning your time of worship. Um, one of the things that First Baptist Duluth did um, one year was um, we decided that uh, our, our pastor had made the decision that we were going to read through the Bible as a congregation in one week. And he said it's going to be read right here on this platform all the way through in one week. So the Bible is going to be read 24-7 right here for the next seven days. Okay? He went out and bought a big large print Bible. He had one of our engineers in the church devise a plan, put together a time grid, how many slots we would need, how many people we would need to make it happen, when they would have to be there, and we had people sign up. 
And if the slots were not filled, the deacons filled the slots. Okay? So we rotated it through our deacons. But for 24 7, seven days a week, the Bible was read in that church. Now, that service, when we were going to start that service, in the beginning was the word that was going to be a scripture. You know, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth, that kind of stuff. Okay. The first thing we did that morning is I had a guy that was in my choir, a young man that actually had come up through my youth choir, uh, Josh Dove. Josh is 6'7", big old boarding, but he's got a beautiful baritone voice. And we had, I can't remember exactly what we had done first, but all of a sudden it got quiet in the room, and you hear Josh coming from the back, no choir, choir's behind Josh. And we're processing down the aisle, and Josh is singing, Word of God speak, fall like rain. He sings that song. If you've not heard that song, it's an old song. But he talks about God speaking through His Word. And he came down the aisle singing that. And he brought it up to the platform, and the choir followed him. And as the choir came in, they started singing with him. Okay? And we got all the folks on that platform. He got up there. He laid the Bible down on the pulpit as we finished the song. And the preacher stepped up, opened the Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. That's how we started that service. Okay? It, it takes that creativity sometimes just to say, wow. I, she did it, you know. Mm, goosebumps, you know. Yes, sir. So, all throughout the week, all throughout the morning hours, is verbalized. It was read out loud. Out loud at the pulpit. At the pulpit. And it was open, even though that somebody may not be there, it's still read. Right? It was still read. Okay. And uh, again, to, for safety's sake, we had one door open. We had a deacon in the building at all times. Security was really tight to make sure that it was okay. But there was somebody standing at that pulpit 24-7 reading the Word of God. Okay, that was just one of those things. Um, another beginning of the service. Again, I like to be creative. I like these kind of crazy things. Um, I had written some chords out for my handbell ringers. I put, it was kind of a circular, so I had handbell ringers four different places up and down, okay? All of a sudden, they start ringing chord, 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 and then my choir starts in. I'll have to do processionals every once in a while. We would come down the center aisle. Holy is He, and that's an old song, but it that it created that arrangement. We'd use that kind of that arrangement that goes into. Holy, holy, holy. Remember that old choir arrangement? We used that kind of, but we started it with nothing but handbells, just cling, cling, cling. And then we start down the aisle, and I had them side by side up on the platform. Get in place. And luckily, it just so worked out 
I didn't time it that way, but by the time I got off, it was when we hit that section, it goes, holy, holy, and I just turned to the congregation and got them involved in singing, okay? Those are things that just can help you be creative with starting a service. I'm just trying to whet your appetite, okay? Um, you can use drama. We've used a lot of different things to dramatically um, to do that. One of the things that uh, even I could do at a small church, um, rather than trying to do a full-blown Easter pageant, my folks were getting so burnt out at one point we were trying to do living Christmas trees and then an Easter pageant. Woo! And too much. Okay, so we decided, okay, and again, I'm working with this planning team, so they're feeding me and we're helping create this thing. And we said, what about taking the four Sundays before Easter? Here's Easter. And let's do the four stages to the cross. And then celebrate Easter. Okay? So we took this week and we did the triumphant entry. It wasn't on Palm Sunday. It was early. Okay? And then we did... Um, what do we do? That one, the Lord's Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, um, and the crucifixion, and then the resurrection for Easter Sunday. All right, we had those five, and we took the 25 minutes musically that we had, and we did a little vignette, music, drama, whatever, and we did each week a little different. Okay, just a little something to help create that different flow for that different Sunday. And it really didn't burn out my choir because we had two or three songs a week to learn to make sure we were ready on top of. You know, I didn't have eight to ten songs that we were trying to get ready for for one big event. You know, that's that planning. That's that thinking ahead with your music. Okay. Uh, and by the way, don't be afraid to rehash occasionally. Um, last Sunday, um, we did Is He Worthy? Is He Worthy of this? You know, that's a new song that's out. Great solo with it, and then the choir comes in. We did that last Sunday. By the time I was in the parking lot, I had at least four people come to me and say, you got to do that one again. And I mean soon. Uh, so, you know, songs like that that make an impact, um, we'll find a spot to put them back in and we'll plug them back in somewhere. Um, so don't be afraid to do that. Alright? Um, how, how do you do the welcome at your church? Pastor. Pastor does it? What's he say? What's he do? Does he give, just say, we're glad you're here? Glad you're here. That's it? Your guest. Here's a card. Fill it up. Okay. Alright. How many of you still do the old fashioned meet and greet handshake stuff? Yeah. They still do. Okay. Uh, it's the mountains, I guess. But uh, why, why, why do we do that? I'll say for us to get the congregation more involved because when 
when we first start opening the service, it looks like some of them still have the deer in the headlights look bad with glaze over their eyes. <laughs> and you can see it. But once they get out and start shaking hands and moving around and come back, they're more involved into the scene. In yeah. the, in okay. The right. I'll go that. When do you do it? In service, right after the you know. Okay. Is it? Fellowship him. That's do what we do call some it. kind of fellowship him and then do that? Okay, I will do that, yeah. After the first verse of a hymn, I'll stop over here. Let him read. Yeah. Okay. And then that song continues, and then we come back in with in, in the body of that hymn. I like that. Same thing. That's a good idea. I like that. And then we stand them, and the guy we have now, and we used to do it in between the, the opening song, but now he stands them, and he's like, you know, turn and make someone feel welcome around you. And then join us singing, and he announces the song, you know, and then we go into it, and so they greet for a minute, and then they hear us. And it's usually an upbeat song. Yep. And so then they turn around, they just come and greet like that, and turn around and start singing, you know. So. Yep. Um, there are a lot of ways to do it, and you know, sometimes there are a lot of folks that are now saying, uh, because of all the germs that flowing around, you shouldn't even do it. I don't know. I haven't decided on that one yet, but think through that, you know. We stop ours during flu season. Yeah, don't do it during flu season. <laughs> but you know, we took there it out. There you go. I like that. We took it out for a little, what, what, for a couple of weeks, and people were like, "Hey, where's our, where's our, you know, greeting time and all that?" And I was like, yep. "You got plenty of time to greet before church." Let, let me ask you a question. In response to that, is it biblical? Because that's what I always ask my folks. If you want me to do something, give me a biblical reason to do it in worship. Is it biblical? What do you think? Is it? There is a verse that talks about coming together and... Yes. There, yeah, that, that, that one's in there. Yeah, uh, I don't know that I'm making everybody kiss each other. But, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. You know, there is a biblical precedent yeah. that says when the people of God come together, that what they did is biblical precedent said that they come together and they did greet one another and fellowship with one another in the Lord. Okay? Now, I'm stretching it way from <laughs> If I tried to quote that scripture, no. Okay? But it, there is that precedent there. Okay? Um, but I sometimes just remind them, you know, this is not about you. This is God telling us that we're to be here in a family of faith, and we're here to love on each other and encourage one another. And one way we do that is we stick out our hand and shake hands with each other. And we let each other know that they're important in the life of this church. So you make sure that you reach around and you make sure everybody in this room knows that they're important in the life of this church. It's all in how you express it. If you just say, hey guys, just shake hands, you know, then they're going to shake hands. And they've lost the biblical significance of what they're doing. Okay? I want to challenge you. Um, be creative. This is just some of the crazy things I've done in my ministry. Okay? On this sheet that you've got just a way to get you to think of things you can do if you will do them. And I don't care what size church you're in, I'm doing them in Blue Ridge. 
okay? My church. You can do some creative things in your times of worship. Okay? Any questions? Anything? Yes, sir. Sean. Steve, you know I've come to your class before uh, when you've actually covered this pretty much the same information, but yep. it's been quite a few years. And since I've gotten back into music ministry, I wanted to come and sit at it again. Um, the, the last church that I served at, I served with a pastor who was gung-ho about trying to be creative with our worship service. And it made it very enjoyable to come up with some of these new ideas. Um, however, the church I'm at now, I've been at six months, and the, the pastor is, has some very hard opinions on um, how he wants things done, um, does not like to change anything. If we have something special, such as a baptism or baby dedication or graduation recognition, it is done at the beginning of the service. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Lord's prayer or Lord's supper is done at the end of the service. No changing that. Um, how old is he? He is in his fifties, somewhere about. Raised Lutheran. Not that that is a bad thing, but he comes from a upbringing where everything is regimented, and they did it, did it the same way. Every I was Sunday. going to tell you, I bet I can determine his theological background. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it does make it difficult, as especially someone who, like me, who lo loves to be creative with their yeah. worship services. Right. Right. It makes it difficult to be as enthusiastic about it as I once was at my last church because I just I, like you were saying it's become ritualism mm -hmm. I, I feel like we're in a rut and the person who I should be able to turn to to a, a, as a partner to get out of this rut doesn't seem to be all that concerned and he's wanting it the same way every Sunday so have, how would you approach? Okay, that? let me let me ask you a couple of questions. Have you expressed your frustration to him? Yes. And he says we're going to stay the same. He says he's the pastor, so he makes the final decision. Yeah. Resume. Yeah. And I'll also share with y'all. It, it's very difficult for me to be because at, at the churches I've been at before, it's just like okay, I know the congregation wants me here; they like me. Um, and so, it, if I felt like I was being called somewhere else, it was very easy for me to say, okay, well, I'm being called somewhere else. But at this church, I really feel like God wants me and my family there. Um, when I've served in ministry before, I was a single guy. Now I'm a married guy. So my wife and my daughter. I've found a home at this church. I feel like God brought us to this church for a reason. I have yet to see what that reason is. And I've been really begging God to show me because it's become very difficult. Um, so as far as the resume part, it, personally, I want to. but it, And it's easy, easy to turn that route. But I, I can't do it knowing that God wants us there for whatever reason it may be. Um, my encouragement, be patient. Be patient and utilize within the structure he has some little nuances, little changes you could make. Like, okay, if you do a certain format and like you get to, okay, you always sing a song at this spot, okay? Vary the way you do that song. Like, start it with a solo and then bring the congregation in. Or 
start it with just piano and then bring in the organ or then start it with just the organ bring in other instruments single verse acapella do some variety in that structure that gives him a way of saying you know that's pretty good or have women sing a verse and then men sing men a sing a verse <laughs> women sing a verse yeah. you know. I like when Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I've done that with this side of the room. Come on, this side of the room here. You know that kind of stuff. You know um, that kind of thing. Anything like that that can be done within his structure to give you some little bit of variety may open the door. Okay. Okay. Do it a little bit, and then back and sit back away and see how he responds. If he kicks back at it, drop it out, you know. Uh, but my key would be be patient and work little bitty steps. Take two steps forward, one step back. One step back, you know. Make sure you're on the page with him because, uh, from experience, you never want to get in front of the pastor. That's right. I've been there. It is not pretty. Okay? And so once you get there, you're in trouble. And I've been there. Speaking from experience. Do something that includes him on too, like having read the passage of scripture in the middle of a song and involve him in what you're doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I've done a lot of choir anthems. Where that I knew they were based on this passage of scripture. And I said, Pastor, would you read this verse before we sing this anthem? Or we're going to get to this little bridge, and I'm going to extend this little bridge section right here so that you can read that passage of scripture right here. Would you do that for me? And I think you'll find you'll be receptive soon. Possibly soon. Hopefully. Okay. Okay. Anything else? Anybody? I hope it's been helpful. I hope it's been challenging. Um, if I can ever help you, now that I'm a part-timer, uh, uh, I would love to help you and encourage you in any way I can. Um, my email address now is wsteve.brown at g uh, gmail.com. So, uh, but uh, let me know. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the joy that we have as we lift our voices in praise to you, as we celebrate you in worship every week. I pray, God, that you would just use these, these folks to encourage their congregations and be creative in their ways of leading their congregation into new experiences of worship. Give them your boldness and your confidence that you, as they do these things, that you will enhance their worship together and that they will have those moments when their congregation will just stand in awe of you. Fortune, your son's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.